1: Hello and welcome to Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sandra Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. Joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Lisa Roman, NWSL analyst and broadcaster. We've got a preview today for everyone. Match two of the friendly for U.S. women's national team against Paraguay. And we have a great interview for you all today with Yael Averbush West, the GM of Gotham FC. First, a quick reminder to follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third and let you know you can watch full NWSL extended highlights and World Cup qualifier highlights. Anything broadcasted on Paramount Plus, you could catch over on our YouTube page at YouTube.com slash Attacking Third. Subscribe to our YouTube page so you don't miss a single thing. Lisa, how are you doing today?
2: I'm good. I'm trying out a new flavor of coffee this morning. Um, We're recording in the morning and it's really quite nice. It was quite the surprise for my taste buds and I'm really pleasantly surprised with it.
1: You know, uh, I just want to like say it's so underrated, the morning experience of like like the morning beverage. I don't think people, I know coffee drinkers are like, yes, I got to have my coffee in the morning. But I just say like in general, Mm -hmm. the morning beverage period. Is a very important way to start your day so whether it's coffee whether you're just like a a water person if you just want to start your day making sure that you are hydrated which quite frankly everybody should it's
2: probably the way to go everybody but i should.
1: don't do that yeah everybody should just like slam some water before they actually <laughs> do make that choice for what's next in the morning um but yeah i i'm a water i try to be a water person uh in the morning for sure uh, but we have a little bit of uh of a preview portion that we gotta get into first in this in this episode. So our preview segment is going to be for the second match that the United States women's national team is gonna be facing off against Paraguay. And we Kind of content plan this a little bit, Lisa, just to sort of give our listeners a bit of look into the the content planning right that we're doing. We're like, geez, it's like, you know, we we did this recap. We had a a, a great live, uh, you know, post game live reactions to the first game. We had a lot of participation in that one. It was great to sort of see people hop on and and engage with us a bit while we were doing the recap. And we thought to ourselves, how are we going to you know, uh, preview this for this next game, considering we just the game that we just recapped this was a 9-0 blowout? What, what's going to be within there for us to look at? So we thought a fun thing for us to do together with our listeners is throw out some uh, U.S. Women's National Team lineups. And these aren't necessarily going to be predictions, but a little bit about kind of like a wish list, basically, like what we would, like to see in a second game against a team that you literally just, you know, kind of blew out of the water uh, you know, if just a couple nights ago basically. So, I'm going to go first since I'm leading <laughs> uh since I'm leading the charge here and then Lisa you can hit me with what you got. And uh, I won't I feel like I won't be surprised if there are some similarities.
2: I agree. If- I I will see. I'm sure we'll see some similarities, but I love this wish list starting lineup because really there's no wrong answers
1: (laughs) we're just talking we're just having a good time so uh the game is going to be taking place uh on tuesday uh september the 21st uh, in cincinnati the uh the hometown of (laughs) rose lavelle so i'm already giving a little bit of foreshadowing there probably in terms of what i want to see um in my midfield uh but you know in terms of what I would like to see the coaching staff put out there. Um, I think we're both going to be in agreement. I already have Jane Campbell in that. uh, When we took a look at this initial roster announcement, we saw two goalkeepers (laughs) get called in to this. And we're like, hey, two games each of them should get 90 minutes let's go uh so jane campbell is getting the start for me uh in terms of the back line i would like to see a little bit of rotation uh crystal dunn deserves a break so she is not in my back line so i do have uh casey Kruger. uh Tierna Davidson. I do have Becky Starburn again because I am selfish and I would like to see her possibly get a goal. We saw her knocking a little bit in the first game, so I want Becky Starburn to get a start uh, again, selfishly. Uh, and I have Emily Sonnet um, closing out uh, the back line there just because Kelly O'Hara ended up going, uh, you know, playing ex- the extended minutes uh, that she did in the first game. Now for the midfield. I kind of had some mixed feelings here. I was like, well, you know, yes, Crystal Dunn deserves a rest. But I also selfishly want to see her in the midfield. So I don't have her starting in the midfield right now. But I do, in my mind, in Sandra's mind, she's absolutely... A like midfield candidate, like prospect in this particular. So she's thing.
2: coming off the bench for you, but she'll I'm coming off
1: the bench, bench the midfield. Yeah, okay. like it's a short turnaround. It's a quick and turnaround. Know, we're doing subs too. I love this. <laughs> let's let, let's get into it. So I I have Andy Sullivan getting a second consecutive start. I just feel like. She had a great game and uh, she got called into these camps for a reason. So get, give her the start again. Uh, but alongside of that, it, it, the hometown kid giving Rose Lavelle the start in this one. And I'd like to see Katarina Macario in this midfield as well for the team moving forward. And in terms of the top line, I'm going with a little bit more experience. Uh, Tobin Heath came off of the bench in the first game. I'd like to see her get a start in this one alongside uh, the other veteran, uh, Carly Lloyd, uh, Quite frankly, it's her farewell tour, so I'm gonna see her get the start. And I'd like to see Sophia Smith uh, get the start up top with them as well, and just sort of see what the three of them uh, can do early on in the game.
2: Sandra, I'm surprised you didn't have all three Red Stars starting. You had Casey Krueger, Kierna Davidson, but no Mal Pugh. What three assists isn't good enough for you in the last? Listen,
1: minute? it's it's too it's too good. <laughs> it's too good, and I'm like, you know what? You deserve a break. <laughs>
2: no I respect that I respect that okay so you'll have in the midfield you'll have Andy Sullivan as more of your defensive
1: six yeah absolutely okay yeah
2: and then when like Crystal Dunn rotates in where who's coming out
1: probably LaBelle. even though it's her hometown yeah give her the send-off give her a little wave I just like to ask the hard questions here. I mean, the game's not hard. It's a game, so it's not a hard question to me. It's like, okay, let her get the wave. Let her get the applause, you know? Let her get the the walk off.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's a good call. Um, But as a player, it hurts a little bit to be like, oh, I don't get to play the full 90. I don't get to finish this out when we have only four midfielders available.
1: Listen, look, they know what these games are, they know what they're about. They know that they are in the middle of a club season with a playoff push. Laura Harvey knows the U.S. Women's National Team. I'm sure those conversations have been had long before <laughs> these these games even got kicked off. So they're gonna rather be paying attention to minutes for sure. Yes, of course, because they're in a big playoff push already yeah. right now. Um, but okay. yeah, I, think I like your lineup. I want I want to uh... hear, hear yours. I'm I'm curious to see if we've got similar. Besides Jane Campbell, I'm curious to see if we got other similar what, things. How,
2: how do you know I want to start Jane Campbell? Okay, <laughs> well, give me the. I do. No, how I do definitely I want to start Jane Campbell. Right. Um, she deserves it. She. I've been saying this since we first found out about this roster. You only have two keepers, and two matches against the same country in Paraguay. They both deserve ninety minutes in goal, um, because that never happens with goalkeepers. And instead of just throwing Campbell in there when you need her. Uh, give her the start and show her that she has the confidence to play um, in goal. So, yes, I have Jane Campbell in goal. Um, I am starting Casey Kruger as well, outside on the left back position. And I like to have Abby Dahlkemper and Becky Sauron in my middle. And then Sonnet on the outside right. Um, I think Emily Sonnet is a player that can do better than we've seen. Because when we do see her on the pitch, she usually doesn't give us that much. And I think it's often the situation she's thrown into. Um, but you could say that for any player, and they make the most of it, and they play better than that. But I think a player like Emily Sonnet, she's clearly showing something in these training camps, because she keeps being called back time and time again into these national team rosters. But I, Lisa Robin, haven't seen what Black Landonowski sees from her yet, and I want to see it. So throwing her alongside Becky Sauerbronn in the center back position with the starting lineup, I think we could get something really good out of Summit. So that's my my back line. Um, Then in the midfield, yes, we have to start Rose Lavelle. I'm also starting Andy Sullivan because she had a great game, so she'll be the defensive. Rose Lavelle, hometown girly, she gets the start. And Crystal Dunn, she's getting the start in the midfield for me. I want to see that. She plays the midfield for Portland Thorns. She's an attacking-minded player. Yeah, She is. And for some reason at the national level, they have pigeonholed her into the back line. Because she's so good, I understand. But she can provide so many great looks up top. Um, And I think she's less of a liability because you know she's going to defend like, heck, in the midfield. Yeah. So, the, that's my midfield three. Sullivan, Lavelle, and Dunn. Then up top, Carly Lloyd, of course, alongside Sophia Smith and Mal Pugh. Okay. I want to see what the young, energetic duo of Smith and Pugh can look like along alongside someone like Carly Lloyd, who... Last time the U.S. played against Paraguay, had some 64 touches on five goals.
1: I think that's pretty magical. Our, I'm into it. I like both. <laughs> I like both of these lineups, quite frankly, I like that in our scenarios. No matter like even though they're different little scenarios, the concept is still there. Like we absolutely want to see Crystal Dunn in the midfield yes. in some capacity for the United States Women's National Team. I I, I just we cover the league on this podcast. Uh, We have seen week in week out what Crystal Dunn provides uh, for the Portland Thornton side. Um, We have seen what Crystal Dunn has provided for teams in the past as she's played higher, whether it was with North Carolina courage or when she was with Washington spirit. Um, She is a brilliant attacking minded player. And so if you have enough depth, if you do have enough capable depth, at defense, I don't see where the struggle is in terms of the conflict, let's say, in terms of being able to start maybe pushing her a little bit higher. You know, as 2022 is on the horizon and this team really does start to take a look at 2023 World Cup, uh, the fact that there are so many missing uh, midfielders right. right now in, this, in these two yes. friendlies is the time to do that. Quite right,
2: let her have some fun. You're so going love to win to, anyway, Vladko.
1: Yeah, I know. We both uh, would would love would love to see it. And then so I guess that raises those the, those questions still about the back line, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh well, what happens at outside? But you know, it's the, this back line has become so reliant on somebody like a Crystal Dunn where the narrative was maybe almost similar during the Olympics where in the midfield, where it was like, Oh my gosh, like this midfield has become so reliant on a julie It's like, what does that mean mm-hmm. for the midfield? Right. Um, so I think the, the same, the similar, uh, similar storyline is, is echoed, I think maybe with the, the back line and the outside back position specifically, but I wouldn't like, I, I wouldn't hate like some, some rotate, some, some rotation around the back line either maybe not even just the center back position because mm-hmm. you know Tierna davidson has also played outside back as well um she has gotten very very limited minutes uh at that position but we've seen it happen uh in really in game in game time scenarios not so much in the start but we've seen it in game time mm-hmm. scenarios where she's been shifted over um same with with club I have seen it with the Chicago Red Stars as well um and I wouldn't I wouldn't hate if that happened in this game either uh, seeing somebody like Tina Davidson at outside back and maybe flipping maybe flipping the script a little bit and pushing Emily sonnet back in the center back which quite yeah. frankly is a stronger position for her um, uh, in terms of defensive positions where she lines up I know there are some coaches out there who uh, think that she an argument can be made for her as a bit of a defensive six as well. Um, mm-hmm. but her bread and butter has typically been at a center back position. So I wouldn't hate uh, maybe flipping that a little bit and, and seeing that as well.
2: So uh, you would put Tierna Davidson left back or right back? I Alongside Kruger yeah. being the other back, outside back.
1: I think Kruger is the more capable and fluid outside back. So I would be fine seeing her at – either for Kruger being so if, if they want to push if they want to see Turner Davidson get more see if she's capable of getting more involved in an attack I wouldn't mind if this was the game where they wanted to see her get on the left hand side
2: okay so Davidson on the left
1: yeah why not and let's, let's, and see she, let's see what she does alongside yeah. maybe somebody like a with, with a, like a Tobin Heath or something I wouldn't I wouldn't, ooh, that. Ooh, that I,
0: wouldn't
2: could be fun. I would like to see that and I think I think Davidson on the outside would be good, especially in this game where uh, assuming they're probably not going to have that much defensive pressure. There'll be some. I'm saying say this is the game to do. <laughs> Heck yeah. And then when you look at the front line and the rotation between the forwards, now our front lines were different. You had yeah. Joven Heath, Carly Lloyd, and Sophia Smith. Mm-hmm. I had Sophia Smith, Carly Lloyd, and Mel Pugh. My first rotation off the bench, probably at forty-five, probably at half. I'd take Carly Lloyd out. That's fair. Throw in a Lynn Williams, and I'd have Smith, Williams, and Malpew for a few minutes. Give them probably until the sixty-minute mark.
1: Yeah, no, that, that that that's fair. I think in, in the uh,
2: chaos that
1: causes. <laughs> <laughs> I think in like a non uh, a non Carly Lloyd tour that absolutely happens. I think. Uh, they'll have to, you know, pay her to come off of the, yes. <laughs> be Like well, we'll give you a bonus if you sub off a half, you know, I just, I just think like the, and she's going to be like, no, I'll pay you to stay on. Yeah. Like because <laughs> it's just like the competitor in her is going to be like, okay, so I'm starting. So I'm going 90. Right. Um, yeah. I just think that that's like my, might, might be how it plays out. But if there I'm with you though, in that if there is an opportunity and if there is a scenario in which Sophia Smith, Malpew, and Lynn Williams get all get on the pitch together at the same time, it would be like an absolute delight. So I would love to see it as well. <laughs> I'd be so giddy. <laughs> I, 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 I would too. But you know, these were just, these these were just like a, a wish list vibe. This is our, this, we wanted to come on here and say, this is what we would like to see. Uh, let us, let us know folks, let us know listeners, if, what, what you would like to see. Um and, and we'll see if uh, we'll compare, we'll compare, we'll come back in the recap and see if, if we got any of this and uh, we were able to actually predict anything, but uh, just as a reminder, this United States women's national team match will be played on Tuesday, September 21st at 7:30 Eastern central Ten- Central uh, central standard time, uh, Eastern standard time in Cincinnati, Ohio. Gosh, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Lisa and I are going to go live again after that match. We're going to be on YouTube right after the match. Uh, post whistle with your first reactions once again. So please join us, everybody. Can, yeah, come we have people coming and hanging out and giving us some some love and giving us some questions and had some good dialogue going on in the, the chat there. So please join us at youtube.com slash attacking third. Please stick around right after this quick break. We have an incredible interview with Yal Averbush West with uh, the Gotham FC GM. So thank you all so much for listening.
2: Viori is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at Viori.com slash soccer. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash soccer.
0: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
1: Today we have a special edition interview episode, and we have a special guest joining us today. We are here today with former U.S. Women's National Team player and current New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC General Manager, Yael Averbush-West. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. That was a very uh, that was a lot of words for my intro. So you did well with that.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I I always want to make our a our guests uh, feel special and welcome to the show. And b I also want to get through the intro. So those are as long as I hit those two points, I'm uh, I feel accomplished and I feel like we set the table for the episode. But we're very excited uh, to have you here for for our listeners who are unfamiliar with your legacy. I will just let them know very quickly that you're someone who has played professionally for 11 years. You started uh, your domestic club soccer uh, career back in the day, 2009, with then sky blue FC, it was a kind of a hometown tie for you. Uh, You went on to become executive director of the NWSL players association, and now you're on the soccer operation side of things that is uh, many hats to be wearing along with the probably the biggest hat which is mom as well right
3: a lot of hats yes <laughs> but actually it's funny because I was um I considered myself just an NWSL fan up until like now I guess it was, it was maybe a month and a half ago like a season ticket holder for Gotham FC I was like this is nice I'm just on the outside and now now I'm back on the inside so <laughs> I couldn't stay away for that long. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you, you mentioned being a fan before you stepped into this interim GM position, which about a month ago had happened. There was a media swarm around all of the attention with the old GM being terminated in Elise LaHue and now you stepping in and going from sitting on one side of the stadium to the other besides your seat in Red Bull Arena. What's been the biggest adjustment and stepping into this GM role?
3: You know, I think it's interesting because no matter how much you understand, like I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of, you know, the history of this club, because uh, as Sandra mentioned, you know, I was here literally at the start, like the first ever pro club meeting where we talked about the goals for the club and the vision and everything. And then um, over the years in NWSL, you know, what's going on at the other clubs, Um, working with the players association. I had spoken to the players here numerous times but you never really know until you're there. Um, so I think for me, it's just, it's been a learning curve to actually understand, to have conversations and understand what's going on, good and and needs improvement and why is it like this and what things can we do to push it forward. So um, it's been like like every day I'm having conversations and learning uh, what we can do to mostly, you know, support the players to be their best. I think all of this in NWSL, it's about, the players and the fans. So what can we do to make the players as happy as possible, as good as possible when they go out to perform on game day and to make the brand as exciting and entertaining as possible for the fans.
1: So let's, let's narrow down things a little bit. Let's, let's maybe talk about like the week in the life of a GM or even a day, if a week is too, if a week is too, too much, Uh, because there's a lot of maybe questions from the casual listener or casual fans where it's like general manager of a women's pro soccer team, What does that mean? What does that look like? There are people's assumptions or interpretations of what that role could be. Some people feel like it's more of um, a team building side, someone who's assembling a team, putting it together to, you know, to to put together a winning club. Uh, Others have taken on deeper roles, which is like helping establishing uh, cultures and and organizational cultures for their clubs. Uh, And a, a lot of that has also, like you said, included, um, being able to be a focal point or someone, a connector with the players and uh, someone to also sort of be that uh, communications person, someone to sort of keep the transparency uh, with fans. Is is that something for you that you want to keep as all encompassing or is your focus maybe in or more in uh, one area?
3: Well, you know, that's a great question, because when I think about it, I even feel overwhelmed listening to you. But that's the reality. I think this role looks it looks totally different in every club, I'm sure, because even when I thought about taking the role and I thought about GM, I was like, what does that What does that mean? And I had the same thought process, like, what does this entail? Like, let me literally see a list. And the list of the potential job description is like it's enormous. It's everything. Um, so so I think, you know, the club has done a really good job in bringing me on, I think, of breaking breaking pieces off to make it more manageable and to make it uh, fit. Kind of my area of strength. So one really good thing that the club has done is kind of separated the business side from the soccer operations. So I am purely in charge of the soccer operations, which is, <laughs> it feels better to me than trying to look at the whole picture, um, which the reality was, you know, Elise LeHue was doing all of it, uh, which is I can't even imagine the scope of that job. Um, and then I also um have an assistant working with me, Stephanie Lee, who's been at other NWSL clubs. And so she has been there and done that. She's been she was uh, been in league meetings, she's you know worked with the contracts, the salary cap, all those things that are a huge learning curve on my end. You know, that's probably. I would say the, really the biggest part of the league that I'm so unfamiliar with is that part because I've been almost in surrounding all the other sides of it. But all of that, like I, it was stuff I never would see. I wouldn't see uh, anyone's contract besides my own. Um, so because of that, I've been able to break off kind of a really nice segment of focusing on really kind of setting the stage for um, the club culture. And this club, I think has already an, an amazing club culture. So it's not creating the culture, but it's figuring out how to protect it and how to continue to advance it. And I mean, it's no, it's no secret to anyone that the club hasn't had the success on the field of some other clubs in the league. And this year is the first time, you know, we see some, some numbers in the win column and that's a really important part of things, you know, for the players, morale for the club moving forward. So it's twofold of like making that, that culture, even more, giving even more of a platform to the players who really carry the culture, but then also like how, how can we create something where there's long lasting success on the field and stability in terms of that, like really building on success on the field. So that's the puzzle um, that I'm tasked with and how to do it. I can not yet speak to exactly, but that's what, that's what I'm figuring out as I go.
2: (laughs) You're a few weeks into it though. So you have the blueprint you saw the job description and now you've kind of circled the ones that Gotham and the club specifically want you to focus on, but it's still, there's so much that goes into it. And you mentioned you're focusing on the soccer. Her op side of it, so I have to ask: Game week, let's just say, what what are your daily duties leading up to the game day? Where does your job not even really focus around a game day for Gotham FC? Uh
3: quite honestly, I'm pretty um, separated from that in the sense that, like, I, I go to, um, I live locally, so it's really nice. I drive maybe like tw- not even 25 minutes to the training facility, and when I say I'm going to training. I actually have never really stood out and watched training. Like, that's what I I was thinking of. Oh, you know, I'm going to watch training. I'll, you know, really be down on the field in the games. But it's not, I think, you know, my work ideally should be done far before anything that actually happens on the field. So for me, it's about setting up everything prior to that. Like once game day comes, that's kind of, um, i'm hoping the time to sit back and relax and like watch the show unfold kind of so that's that the way like i've you're, approached you're it your
2: off day that's like almost your off day Yeah, uh,
3: uh, all relative oh. term but but the reality is there's like a lot of other people kind of on the ground doing the bulk of that work and i'm so grateful for them because they're carrying out the show um you know that the that really the the staff and the players come game day that's their time they spend uh, you know, they prepare at the stadium, they prepare the locker room, the players show up, they do their thing. And I'm kind of like I show up like any other fan. <laughs> I have a little more invested now and I'm a little more stressed, I will say. But um, but really, when you when you hear, op, I think operation like the soccer operations is maybe a little misleading because the staff here does an amazing job of carrying out really the nitty gritty of the operations. And I kind of um, am responsible for just overseeing those processes and making sure it's running smoothly.
1: You know, talking a little bit about some of your your previous accolades and and your experiences leading up to this role that you're in what what is it about perhaps your your history as a former player specifically that has maybe helped you in these early weeks of being a GM with Gotham?
3: Yeah well, I mean the first um the first task here for me was was bringing in a couple new coaches and so I think as a player, um, my understanding of the magnitude of that decision and the process that needed to um, take place, I think, it is really deep. Because for me, and I've always thought this as a player, like the. Coaching staff of a team, and I wouldn't even say just the head coach, because that's something I've actually really my eyes have been open to since I got here is the coaching staff as a team. Like it's a group effort. It's not just the one head coach. I think often we think about like who's the head coach of the team and that's what we think about, but that's, that's not how it works. That's like just looking at the star player on a team. That's, that's not what causes the team to be successful or not. So for me looking at piecing together um, the right staff Like that is make or break for the player experience. And as we know from seeing in the media, from everything that goes on in the league, the player experience from that, everything else emanates out. If the players are happy and feel like they're being treated professionally, they're getting better, they can compete to be their best on the field. Everything else in the organization builds off of that. And if that's not right, you know, like everybody knows it's no secret. So for me, um, I think that is probably like potentially the single most important work I will have to do, uh, especially in the short term. Um, and I really viewed it as like doing it for the players. Um, it is for the organization. It's for the league. It's bigger than that, but really it's, it's for the players They're, This affects their everyday life and like all the way down to their mental health. So, um, I honestly forgot where the question even started, but,
1: but that's where you, I went. With you, you took it where you, I don't know. You're, you're fine. You took it completely where it needed to go. Um, I think that that's a little bit underrated. That maybe the former player experience, specifically as a women's soccer player in a women's pro league is huge and important and uh, that's where where it started with the player experience. yeah that that shouldn't it it, it shouldn't be overlooked but you you touched on it uh, a little bit so let's let's get into the nitty-gritty I'm sure our listeners would love a little bit of insider info if you're willing to to give it but that was one of the very uh first big things that you were tasked with in this position was appointing uh some new head coaches uh Freya Coombe Departed the club, uh, took a new position with the forthcoming Angel City FC club that they'll be joining the league in 2022. And then all of a sudden, you really had to tighten up that GM hat. And there was a coaching search that went underway. Didn't really feel like you guys had a lot of time uh, to maybe sort of get that uh, get that going, but you eventually announced – the club eventually announced the appointment of uh, Scott Parkinson as head coach, and then for the assistant coach side of things, uh, Bev Gobell-Yanez as, as the first assistant. So why – this duo. What was the search like? What was the the vetting process like? What would you like our listeners to know about this 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 process?
3: Yeah, so I think um, I think the first most important thing is you know like the way things go down in the media is sometimes like a little bit misleading in terms of timelines, especially I would say. So while like it looked like it all happened really quickly and relatively, it was a quick quick turnaround. But I mean, the reality is. I had about a month from when we had internal conversations with Freya, which by the way, we're left on, um, on really good terms. Like we wish her the best Freya's a a lovely person. I didn't get to know her so much as a coach, but like, um, I think like people try to bring up some thing drama or things that don't exist. Like we left that in a really good place, um, on both sides. And so, so there was about a month before, um, it made sense for her to step away and for us to transition to new coaches. So whereas Maybe on Twitter, it looked like it was like, boom, boom, boom. There was a little bit of time. Like I was really, um, I had time to really think about it and to have a lot of conversations. And the first thing that was really important to me, was I guess there were two things going into it, just speaking totally um, transparently about this, is that I felt that from a totally outsider perspective, having just been a player in the league and seeing all these hires, that it had been done in the past from various clubs in the women's soccer world where either there was a lazy or a cheap hire. And, and I'm not even speaking of anything in particular. I think it's just the commentary and like sometimes that spirals here. So I was really committed to making sure that I was very thorough with the scope of my search, the diversity of candidates, the conversations I had with um, coaching mentors and people who I really respect in the field to get their input. So I had, I mean, I considered i think I think when we looked at the numbers it was like over thirty candidates from like literally all over the world um all different backgrounds, all different types of people to make sure that i was i had a really good picture of like what what was out there for this and then just thinking about like there were there were no Um, Constraints in going into this, like it didn't have to be a certain person, it didn't have to fit a certain budget. I I was going to bring the club the best possible solution, and then we would make it work. That was my mindset going into it, and that was really important to me, based on like what I had heard and seen swirling around out there. So, um, you know, in all those conversations and stuff, the thing that really struck me in particular about um, both Scott and Bev, there were a few things that I think actually. They they share in common, um, although they they come from very different backgrounds and have different coaching experience. But one is, you know, their their passion for the craft of coaching, and this is something that's kind of foreign to me. But but I appreciate it as a player. Like, and I know. Bev as a player and how she approached her craft, but when she spoke about herself as a coach and when Scott spoke about himself as a coach and the way he approaches things, it was a real dedication to, very similar to what I hear from the players about how they're approaching things and how they, how much they care and what they're putting into this. And I think that was really important. And then additionally, you know, in looking at the timing of this transition, we needed, um, you know, we've had, we have a really great the rest of our coaching staff here. And I will give a special shout out to, you know, Becky Tweed has been amazing on the coaching staff. She's uh, really helped with this transition as has uh, Daniel Ball, the goalkeeper coach and Philip Congleton, who's, um, you know, our sports performance uh, specialist. And they've, they've really helped with the transition. So it's not like, we're not starting fresh from totally clean slate. So I wanted to look at People, too, who I think would come in and mesh well with our current staff and mesh well with the current players. You know, we have a transition to make. We're not starting where everyone's coming in in the beginning of preseason. So I looked at, um, you know, who is going to help us make a smooth transition and work well with the players we have? What what I'm hearing from them, I took their feedback, the the things they need and want moving forward, as well as um, same thing from the staff. So who's going to be good right now to make that transition? And then who also really fits within the club culture and where I see this club wanting to go. So understanding that from ownership, from staff, from players is what is the core, the essence of what this club is about and who's going to support that moving forward. So really, I mean, honestly, I feel like I was happy when I finally narrowed down and came to the decision on those two. And I'll tell you guys that I think the thing that really solidified it for me was that I know Bev Yanez, now Yanez, um, is so loved like as a player like there's probably not a more loved player in nwsl and i will tell you but t- the twitter reaction from people who know her and know scott like honestly i didn't think anyone could rival her and i think scott maybe rivaled her it was literally tweet for tweet scott mate so happy for you congrats on the role Lo- love this for you and then great bet oh wow bev in all caps and honestly it went back and forth and i i didn't really uh know that like I, I knew that people really liked and respected Scott but I didn't think I knew the extent of it prior to seeing that and I was honestly blown away but they've um they're, they are lovely human beings first and I think they they have come in and it's been pretty seamless in terms of um transitioning so yeah that was a real in-depth look at at the, at the process and and it's taken us
1: no we love it I love to hear it and I'm sure listeners are appreciative of of all of the context that you're giving as well. But that's, that's so funny to hear you uh, mention some of the reaction to it, because it's, it's so true. You saw that I, I, going through some of the timeline and sort of, if you're, if we're all mutuals here, and if we all look at sort of like what we use it for, it's for work purposes and a lot of soccer uh, Twitter realms and stuff like that. But a lot of that was so true. What you're echoing was a lot of positivity around uh, these, these hires. It was really kind of viewed as a bit of a, a home run. And I think that's, that's huge it's very important when you're thinking about things or in, in such a prolific position whether it's a head coach or a first assistant and sort of talking about something like uh, when it comes to something like reputation where a huge part of that is allowing others to sort of speak to that for you and the fact that so many people were reacting to these two hires for Parkinson and for, for Yanez and that all of the reaction to it was so positive i think it did it did speak very very highly to the reputations in the league on and off the pitch so uh i'm excited to sort of really see them kind of get their hands on the team and go ahead and really make this playoff push because like you said the timing of it was really really crucial as well the team is in the middle of this uh this this playoff push um Lisa, do you want to maybe take this next one for us and and really get the ball rolling on some other futuristic things in in the horizon for for Gotham?
2: Yes, I mean, the playoff push, of course, is one, but uh, Yale, the big news has recently dropped about the expansion draft and the rules. uh, The NWSL adding two new clubs to the league, which is huge and that is very exciting but that also calls for a double expansion draft and before we know it it will be december 16th and the expansion sides will be making their picks and there's been new rules and new outcomes uh with the drop of this news have you had a chance to look at it at all um i know of course you have a lot going on but with two new clubs coming into the league and with an expansion draft when you look at this and the rules that have come out of the the expansion draft, what are you looking at specifically?
3: Yeah, that's a a great question because I will say this part, you know, I won't lie, it gave me a bit of like, (laughs) I was like, okay, I got to take some deep breaths here just thinking about it. Because, um, you know, the reality is these things really and this is where I think to my my player insight comes into play a, bit, a little bit. These things really affect players um, going into the end of the season. You know, a looming expansion draft causes a lot of anxiety around the team. So as I look at it and I look at the rules, my first and foremost, my goal is to minimize the anxiety and the unknowns for players. And that may or may not be Possible fully like I think that there's always going to be, you know, it's going to come to the day and things are going to happen that we don't all know about but uh, the bottom line is as much as I can reassure the players and understand the players and their individual goals and we can all be on the same page leading into it the better because the, the last thing we want is in this really crucial part of the season is for people to be concerned about that on the team. That's, you know, that's for us as a staff to be concerned about and to work out in the best way possible for the club but what I'm most conscious of in just looking at the rules and how it's all played out in, in ways that it's played out in the past they spiral in my mind is just to protect the players from that as much as possible. Um, so that's my goal. Um, we will see, you know, for some things it's really interesting in this role. I think I have this, idea idealistic way i want to do things and it'll be really interesting for me to see um, how possible it is or what barriers uh there are to really um i think doing things in a way that's that's in the best interest of the players uh at the end of the day so we'll see um you know as time goes on but really that's when i see all of this that's what i think of first
1: you know it's it's no one can predict the future, right? And that's going to come sooner than we expect. It's The expansion draft is going to be taking place in, in December, so shortly after that November 20th NWSL championship final. Um, but in terms of just just the present, let's maybe focus on what what we're living yeah, in. Yeah, thank you. What we're living in right now and the, and the things that we know to, to be fact, right? Um, one of the big things uh, coming out of 21, quite frankly, rolling into this regular season with NWSL, was the the rebrand of of this team and at the time you weren't on the you weren't in the front office side of things Uh, but there was a huge reaction to the rebranding of this club from formerly sky blue fc And then to now New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC. Can you maybe walk me through some of like your impressions of just sort of witnessing that from the opposite side of things when you saw the rebrand to now sort of kind of being in it and really kind of getting your feet on the ground on the administration side of things and continuing to cultivate that culture?
3: Yeah. So first of all, I will say I'm a very sentimental person. So like even the other day we just moved and I have all these like old sky blue uh, training tops. I was looking through this bag and I was like, Oh my gosh, this logo doesn't even exist. So I, I, when I heard there was going to be a rebrand, my initial reaction was kind of like sentimental. Um, but what I do with anything that has to do with branding or cultures, I don't trust my own opinion until I look to my husband, Aaron, <laughs> I see like, is this cool? And he, loved it. Like when, when they dropped the logo in the video, he was like, this is sick. So that's when I knew I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. It's sick. <laughs> Cause I don't, I literally don't trust what I whatever I think is cool or not. Like I, I have to go to him first, um, to get the real opinion. And um, well, first of all, the, the branding's awesome. Like they did an amazing job. But I also now, in retrospect, looked at look at what it did culturally for the club. And I think it was really important because there is a different feel to this club. This is not the old sky blue that I was part of in the past. And um, you know, there, there have been ups and downs here like throughout the years. It's been it's been tough. It's been very um New Jersey gritty in a lot of ways. And this is a new look and it's really interesting that it's happened this year. There's a lot of change going on this year that um, hasn't been easy, but everybody here is really on board and very hopeful about the direction it's going. And so I think it's, the new brand has really gone in line with the full shift and how it feels different here. And it from everything from the change in um, in venue and training facility up here at, at Red Bull, training facility and Red Bull Arena, it, feels different um, to, you know, now we have different personnel in place, literally new, new members of the coaching staff. There's a lot, a lot of different fresh feel, but, um, but yeah, the, the new branding is awesome. And I think it goes in tandem with like a real shift in like this club is now moving forward, competing to be I would, I'm not going to say one of the best. We're competing to be the best in the league. It's going to take some time. Like, we, we all know who has been the best historically in the league and is always up there. But now, this club, uh, the goal is to be part of that conversation and and, and literally at the top of the table. So, that's, uh, I think, the new brand kind of allowed for this whole shift.
2: Personally, I loved the new brand. I like the colors um, and the. Yes, I I pretty pretty pretty. This side, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it's like. It's, it's awesome.
2: <laughs> they, they really did a nice job with it. And, and now you get to rep it as part of your uniform, right? Like day in and day out, which is pretty great. But you've also, you mentioned uh, being with Sky Blue previously, twenty. 20- in 2009, you were drafted with Sky Blue, and now somewhat 10, 11, 12 years later, you are GM in this league. So you've seen the NWSL over the last several years and how it's grown and how it has changed. So for you, looking at this, going from player to um, players association, now in the front office as a GM of a club in the league and in the NWSL, w- what is the biggest thing that has changed throughout the league?
3: Wow. Uh, Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't realize that many years had actually passed when you do the math. It's true. Um, I think that you know, I don't think it's anything surprising. I don't have like a boom, wow answer to that question. And because it's been really interesting, I think from the beginning we knew it takes time to build this. Like this is the direction we all saw it going, and we're we haven't arrived anywhere. That's for sure. There's still a lot of work to be done. But the key is, we knew it takes time and what we hadn't had in past leagues was the time and so it was always the goal from day one like this needs to last because if it lasts it can get better that's the only chance we have you know seeing the WUSA and WPS unfortunately folding after three years we don't even know what they could have been because they didn't have a chance so for me the biggest accomplishment of this league is to continue moving forward um and, you know, if you look at like the, the history and this is part of what I learned being part of the Players Association that was really valuable is that the history of MLS is not like it didn't explode to what it is today. You know, in a couple of years, it was rocky. They came in the same. It's the same path. Like We're not, you know, doing anything new here in terms of like the ups and downs of how this works. This is like what that league had to go through and look where they are now. So if we look at it, you know. We're on the right, we're on the right track, we're on the right route. There are growing pains, certainly. It needs to, you know, be professionalized in a lot of ways and keep pushing that forward, but it has to be here to do that. And you can't rush that process because it has to be built level by level, um, building block by building block. So for me to see, you know, every year that goes by and the next season schedule gets announced and it's moving forward, it's like pretty special, especially for those of us who are around. You know, I, I wasn't part of WSA. I'm not quite uh, that the, of that age uh, bracket. But, you know, being part of a league that then folded, those of us who started off our second league as NWSL, I think share a unique appreciation for that, that maybe I hope the younger players don't understand and fully appreciate. They shouldn't. They shouldn't even be thinking about that. But that's always in the back of our minds, I think. It's like, whoo, it's still here and it's doing well. And so there's there's so much to be said for that you know you can pick out all the things that need to to grow and improve but the bottom line is it's here and it's thriving so um that's that's amazing
2: and now when you look forward it anything it has grown so much and you compared it a little bit to the MLS about the rocky start and how it takes time to get fans invested and communities invested and that's happening and we're even seeing it with two new expansion clubs for next season in the NWSL but for you specifically what is the hope or the goal for the next five years for the league or the next 10 years where do you hope to see it in the near future
3: I think there's a lot to be said for for truly building that community feel. You know, it's hard to start something from nothing and to have like true fan bases, true homegrown players coming up through the system, real like club legends. And and, you know, what we've seen in the past is like the, the national team, whether it's the U.S. Women's National Team or international national team players, they are the stars. That's great. But like the more of the local stars who are professional players and they're known for their club affiliation. Like how many people know Megan Rapinoe as an OL Reign player rather than a U.S. women's national team player. And I think that we're going to see that shift. Um, and I think we're starting to see already players making their mark at on the international stage based on their performance in the league and coming up through the league. Um, and, you know, we see it, you know, all the time now, it's, it's not the exception anymore. It's kind of the norm. You see somebody like Lynn Williams, like that to me is, a massive success for the league, and she is known as a North Carolina Courage player. That's that's awesome. So for me, the more we have that stability, where players are happy where they are, they want to stay at their clubs, they're developing at their clubs, fan bases can get attached to those players, and vice versa. We um, build the clubs into the communities. You know, that's something the New Jersey New York soccer community is. I mean, I grew up here. I've lived all over the world and played everywhere, and this is one of the best. Like, it is a really special place. But we gotta tie in more to that. So the more uh, that takes time, but the more time that passes and the more we see these these star players being affiliated with their clubs, I think that's kind of the next level that I would like to see just we got to build that over the next, you know, five years, but even in the next two years, three years.
1: I know we've been chatting a little bit about um the current state of things and what perhaps you'd like to see in the next few years in terms of growing the league and how that actually does have to be kind of, you know, what might feel like a slow, a very slow process to, to people who are on the outside looking in. Uh, but you do want to build slowly because you want to try to build correctly. Uh, so even though it might be painful, right. With the growing pains, um, there's we're starting to see some really good foundations even if it's just at the the club side uh, of things and and one of the things that are that's actually ongoing right now is we're talking about this growth within the league is that there are currently ongoing negotiations between the league and and the and the PA about a potential what we'll, well, what will be a groundbreaking CBA uh, for players, because when we're talking about things that maybe didn't exist in the past, that will eventually exist in the future, that will absolutely benefit the league moving forward. This is one of those things. And you are someone who uh, has form- formerly had ties with that as the executive director of, of the PA at the time. And so now you're on the other side of things. So obviously, uh, some of what you can talk about in, in, in this topic is might be limited, but in terms of just wearing that player hat, that former player hat for a second and having maybe heard some of, you know, those moments of uh, those areas where players have come to you to talking or bringing about certain issues to light, things that they would like to see within a potential CBA. What do you hope to have come out of something like that for the players moving forward?
3: Yeah, so I think you, you said a couple really important things already. And one is that this is like, this is a historical thing. So I think that, you know, internally, there is certainly an appreciation for that. I think on both sides and what people may not realize really the full extent of is that, well, like the notion of a CBA is like, Oh, it's the players against the league. Is that the, the why I got involved in this from the first place is that everyone literally has the same goal. And so sometimes I laugh about it because it's not a, battle so much as like a chipping away back and forth to get to this point that's beneficial for everyone. And it really is. It's setting the guidelines for how the league and players will operate moving forward to make decisions. And that's, an, and this is, this is what I've learned about a CBA. Like I know nothing about the legal side. I know nothing about like really like labor unions and that movement, but this is the piece I've learned is like the purpose of this contract is to dictate the operating mechanism between both of these the most important parties to the league, the league entity itself and the the group of players. And so whether it's the, um, you know, the players, the team staff, the ownership group, the league front office, the fans, like everyone benefits from this. And when it's announced, it, it's going to be, um, I hope, a really big moment of celebration because it, it's it is going to changed the trajectory of women's soccer in this country forever. Um, And everyone working on it, I'm I'm really proud of them, because I've, I've had to step away, and I've left them to it. But everyone working on it is, is literally making history. So even I want to speak to something this is like, been out there too. even something like I think this is a good example. uh, The campaign that went out with a no more side hustles, you know, I know that Initially, I think that was received by some ownership groups and by the league as like maybe an attack or a slight, but it's not that as all at all. And I think if everyone thinks about it, I think that's everyone's goal is that these women can just focus on their career. Everyone literally has the same goal. And as the league succeeds, the players succeed as the players succeed individually, the league succeeds. So, um, it's really, it's really a cool process. It's a hard process and they have been hard at work at it. Um, I think that's the part that like, even I haven't been privy to like the real nitty gritty of how hard work it is to go through every aspect of the league and player experience and, and dive into it all. But um, everyone in the outcome of it, everyone wins, I believe. So I'm really excited for, um, you know, when the, this first this is going to be like a monumental thing when the first uh, CBA is signed and done. And then, um, you know, then we really go from there. But it's it's huge, huge, huge for the league and the players.
1: Looking forward to it for sure. Um, I know we can't wait to to celebrate uh, what a huge win that will be for, for everybody, quite frankly, the players and the league. Yeah, y'all, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. This was a wonderful conversation. I hope we can have you back. Maybe when that CBA is announced, maybe. Yeah, we'll come
3: celebrate together.
1: (laughs) Right, we'll celebrate together. And, uh, you know, as Gotham continues to play off push, we'll be keeping an eye on it. And maybe if you guys break through on that, we'll have you back to blow up the chat a little bit. Thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.